Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for another interview episode. And we're so excited today for our guest, Kiana Elliott, an Olympic weightlifter just recently returned from Tokyo. And our very first taste at the sport of weightlifting. We get so exciting when we can chat to a new sport, an athlete from a new sport on this show. Today is obviously one of those days and a fascinating chat here with Kiana. Very, very fascinating. We learn how she went from gymnastics to competing at the Olympics in weightlifting. There's actually more of a connection than you can actually imagine right now. And a a very inspirational story, very close to representing Australia at the Rio Olympics and narrowly missed out and turning that disappointment from some very low lows in that period around 2016-2017 until some very high highs competing in Tokyo and some very fascinating insight into the qualification process of both Olympics and how the whole COVID pandemic affected that chance of uh, going to the Olympics and everything else in between. It really is a fascinating chat, learning a little bit more too about the sport of weightlifting here as well. It is a chat that I know you are going to enjoy, and you're going to hear that right now, our chat with Olympic weightlifter Kiana Elliott. It's always exciting on Off the Podium when we're able to talk to an athlete from a sport we have never covered before, and today is one of those days. We're going to learn a little bit more about the sport of weightlifting today with a recently returned Olympian from Tokyo and a very interesting journey in how she got into the sport and I'm very intrigued to find out more about this and everything else about her time in Tokyo and outside of that everything else that she's up to it's a pleasure to welcome to the show Kiana Elliott Kiana first of all welcome to Off the Podium it's a pleasure to have you on the show today thank you so much for having me it's cool to be here I, as I said, excited to learn about weightlifting and excited to learn about your journey to get there because, I mean, look, I I, I watch weightlifting at the Olympics and I just like, holy crap, if there's a sport that I think I could never remotely even do, it's weightlifting. I can barely lift a chair, let alone the the amount of uh, weight. I mean, are you just, are you constantly always asked by your friends and family, like if there's something heavy to carry, like, hey, come on, Kiana, you you do this for a living. Can you come carry this bag to to the car for me or something like that? Yeah, totally. That happens so often. And the joke is I'm a weightlifter, not a weight carrier. We pick it up and we put it down and sit down for a couple of minutes. <laughs> so don't ask weightlifters <laughs> to carry things, right? Like this is, you know, stop nah, doing nah. it, you, There's a different sport. Different sport. It's called strongman. They actually pick up and carry stuff and put things on. They're yeah. the manual labor pe- people. Yeah, you're just you're a couple <laughs> of seconds and you're done. That's that's it. That's it right? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, 
kind of it's, yeah, like, it's like asking totally. an aerial skier to do more than you know five seconds worth of work right they're doing the flips and they're landing that's done exactly you know? the same with weightlifter yeah exactly yeah. often compared aerial skiing and, and weightlifting oh totally just, totally carry over like, very connected essentially which is i mean it's, <laughs> on that page though you want to talk about mm. sort of random sports that aren't connected uh gymnastics and weightlifting you mm. you were a gymnast were you not count how on earth do you end up competing for australia the olympics in weightlifting when this goal was to be a, a gymnast doing the same i mean that is a that's a story in itself that i want to hear yeah sure i mean you talk about connected but not connected if you if you take a handstand it turn it around the other way and you put a barbell on top that's weightlifting so it kind of works <laughs> well done. i like that <laughs> it's it's a carryover perhaps more so than aerial skiing and weightlifting let's put it that way but gymnastics <laughs> is a starter for for many sports um i've been young and um and and picked out having talent at a young age i was in grade one at school and we had kinder gym basically come through and do PE for us and I got sent home with a flyer and I'm not sure whether that that coach actually contacted my parents as well and said this kid needs to come down and do this gymnastics thing um and so I went down and started and I just wanted to be in the the for fun group um and not do anything seriously and but no the coach pushed me so I was allowed to spend one school term in the fun group and then I, I got put in the competitive group with a bunch of like six, seven-year-olds. Um, and that, that quickly turned into more and more competitions and eventually turned into transitioning into what they call the elite stream, which meant for me changing gyms and training more and training under Chinese coaches with, with military background. Wow. Um, did that for a few years. Um, got a bit broken doing that. Um, and that's what ultimately led me to calling it on gymnastics um, was I just didn't think I could do another rehab. Um, so, yeah, I called it when I was about 14 and retired. I say retired. I was 14-year-old, but it felt it felt like retirement. Um, that, that whole Kiana Elliott, the gymnast, was my identity at that age. And, you know, I, I we trained 32 and a half hours a week on top of school. Like, we spent more time at the gym than we did at school and then we did at home. Um it was all I did. So I like the most exciting thing for me as a 14 year old was having a little bit of independence and catching the train to and from school was so cool and so liberating. And, and yeah, so it was just this massive, massive identity shift. Well, it was really a crisis. Um, and then over the next year and a half, I just tried to, I've played around with a couple of things, you know, trying to do physical activity for health and for fitness and also for my happiness. Like I tried, you know, going for runs and very quickly realized that wasn't very much fun at all. Um, and so I couldn't really commit to it. I wasn't able to like consistently quote unquote train. And I just felt like I was torturing myself. So it didn't last. Um, I played around with a couple of other school sports played social basketball at school and sucked ridiculously, but it was good fun. Um, and I was just in a local gym trying to do something to keep myself fit. Um, and that's when I got the chance to pick up a barbell and got introduced to barbell movements. Um, I'd never pictured myself doing weightlifting. I don't think any, maybe a few more do now, 
but as a 15 year old girl, I just didn't really know that weightlifting was a thing that I could do. I think everyone had sort of a mental image in their head of, you know, the typical weightlifter. I don't know why they always zoom in on the weightlifter's face, but with the bar on their shoulders and they're huffing and puffing and straining and the veins are popping out and <laughs> they're trying to put it over their head. Um, and for the women's side, I think they they always used to publicize the, the supers because they lift the most weight. Or at least that's, that's the sort of mental image I had in my head at 15. So I don't really know know it as, as a sport I could do. I was just trying to outlift the other girls in the gym. Um, then the opportunity came up to do a, a workshop just based on weightlifting. I begged my mom to let me do it. And she also bought me shoes. I was, I was good at begging. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as a result of that workshop, the, the lady that ran the workshop told me that the weights I, I'd lifted on that day could have actually meddled me at the junior youth under 17 level um, within the state. Wow. And she said, maybe you should consider this as something you might want to pursue. Do you want to, there's a couple of coaches here and here. Um, I'll let you know what, what you might want to do and I'll come along and introduce you. So I went along on a Sunday and my mom was really pissed off because we couldn't find the place. <laughs> um, and I, I met this coach and, and got some weightlifting coaching and he told me to come back the next day. And then the next day, <laughs> And then by the end of that week, on the Friday, I jumped in a, a club competition. So just within the same gym and just did, did the lifts that counted in, a, in an official competition. And I think a month on from that, I competed in a more proper competition um, and lifted a total that put me on an Australian team as an under-17 athlete. And that, it happened so quickly. Was it a there, month? It was representing ridiculous. Australia? That's insane. Was the first, almost the first real comp I did, wow. I, I qualified. Um, it's, I don't know whether the, the standard was at a level that it was attainable for me in that time frame. Wow. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that that can happen so quickly because, I mean, you're mentioning about sort of the the levels you were competing for gymnastics and training that yeah, sure. does it kind of all of a sudden make you think that shit I should have started this like five years ago who knows where I could have been it's, right now it's different hey right so gymnastics you train these hours upon hours and they they really drill into you that hard work um, and, and a lot of hard work at a young age will will reap the rewards in the future. So we were all working towards the year we turned 16, which was the year you'd turn um, into the senior age group in gymnastics. So for me, that would have been 2013. So even from the age of six, I knew that I was too young for London um, and Rio would be my Olympic Games. Um, and that's how they drill you for it. And so you know it's a long game. And I didn't know it would be quick or anything in, in weightlifting. I was sort of very i didn't go into weightlifting going right i'm going to go to the olympics in weightlifting i was i'm doing this for fun it was a self-protection mechanism I, I felt like i'd had the dream ripped out from underneath me in gymnastics um so i didn't want to invest fully in it and and weightlifting yeah it, it happens so quickly and you make gains so quickly as a new weightlifter um particularly if you have a physical affinity for the sport and you have physical awareness it's the neurological adaptations of the movement that mean you can 
progress 10, 20 kilos stupidly quickly. Mm. And then about three, three-ish years in for me, four years in, you hit like this wall. <laughs> <laughs> and then every single kilo, you're like, oh, how did I do that? Um, and yeah, sure, there are a few other factors involved, but the start of weightlifting is just, for me, it was just a whirlwind. Which, going back to your point about in gymnastics where, yeah, you're kind of reaching that level where Rio is going to be my Olympics on that progression scale, just on the Olympics in general, was that something when you were younger, gymnastics or other sports you were competing, was sort of the Olympics always something that you strive towards and it was just gymnastics that you fell into or was it more of a, I'm a gymnast, the Olympics is the top goal, that's where I'm aiming for? I I was only good at gymnastics. I, I never I never played catch as a kid. So if you throw something at me, I'll run the other way. And if I throw something at you, it won't go anywhere near you. Um, <laughs> that's that's the level of my hand-eye coordination and athleticism towards other sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, gymnastics, it was it was from su- such a young age. I think they try and pick out the kids with the physical affinity, the physical characteristics that suit the sport. And then to some extent, I think you can judge kids that that young on their mentality and whether they can take instruction. Because you're so young, it's can you take instruction? Are you willing to do a bit of work? Um, and so the seed was planted from such a young age. I was six years old when I first went to the Australian Institute of Sport and basically did a selection camp for, it was called Towards London 2012 but there were kids that were old enough for London and then there were kids that were a bit younger. So that was when, you know, it was sort of became clear that Rio was the Olympic games that you'd be looking at, not London. Um, And so that was, I was offered to go and and train at AIS when I was six years old. Um, It was for a three month trial and my parents were looking at moving. Um, And then I think there was some discussion between the coaches and, well, my coach and, and my parents, it basically was along the lines of if they don't, if they decide they don't like you after three months, they're just going to send you home. Like it might be the end of it. Um, so we ended up making the call. Well, it wasn't my call, it was my parents' call, not to go to that trial and just keep doing gymnastics. But the elite. Gymnastics at that time was separated into the national stream and the elite stream. Um, And so within a few years, our coach was pushing myself and another couple of girls to try and do this elite um, process and try and learn different skills. And it's a completely different pathway. So, yeah, it was drilled in from from such a young age and it was always the end game. Mm. Because I I can't imagine it's six years old when that's kind of something that it's true. Like, I don't even know what I was doing at six. Like, I mean, I, I <laughs> you know, like I, I couldn't even tell you right now what I was doing at the age of six. Probably what Jurassic Park was released that year. I think the posters behind me. So you can tell I, you know, I was excited <laughs> to see that. Like, I can't imagine what it's like to be sort of drilled into at that age that this is the progression that you have. And, and then when you sort of say at 14, you have to retire. Like it, to many hearing that's like, wow, okay, that's young, but you're doing for eight years at that point, more than half your life. That's all you yeah. know. So it's kind of, it's, I mean, wow. Come to where I am now. I've done gymnastics for eight years and then I've done weightlifting for eight years. It's it's 16 years of my life mm. for one Olympic Games. Yeah. 
Which, Crazy. I mean, what's to say with the next eight years? Again, aerial skiing, you know, just saying. Like, I mean. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Aerial um, awareness was not my strong point. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, quite, not quite on that level. When you gosh. first then do weightlifting, outside of the obvious of you've got to lift a weight and hold it, like mm. what are some of the other aspects that you found challenging, I guess, kind of on the technical aspect of the sport? Because there's a lot more technical than people give it credit for weightlifting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure. You move an object from A to B, the most uh, efficient way to do that in terms of physics is to go in a straight line. But you work with the biomechanics of the human body. You can't move an object in a perfectly straight line. If you're going to leverage it well, you move a light object in a straight line easy. Um, So you become aware of this concept very early on that the closer the barbell is to your center of gravity, the lighter it is. to demonstrate that like you imagine holding a, a two liter thing of milk at arm's length and holding it there for ages but if i put that i have the mobility to put that directly above my head it can balance there quite happily mm. um just fundamental concepts of how the sport works it's really weird as a gymnast you you jump and you rebound so much weightlifting is all about landing flat and solid we, we jump but we almost jump down and so it was a landing as a transition to learning to land on my heels as opposed to being so toe focused it was almost like i did a bit of diving after gymnastics and the concept of learning how to land on your head was just terrifying because you don't do that in gymnastics it means death right (laughs) (laughs) and weightlifting too i hope you're not uh, you know landing things on your head as well also probably yeah no that would be bad yeah Which it's just, it's fascinating to kind of think about how something so simple as like landing and, and, and feet movement can be sort of kind of correlated between the two sports. And then just as you mentioned, the, the simple biomechanics of a sport, you know, and, and just little things like that, because that's what's really interesting about weightlifting that again, armchair, you know, critic like me is just watching going, oh, they're just lifting heavy shit. That's easy. But it's, it's, it's not because the simple thing like you saying, well, putting your hands, you know, center of gravity makes it light. Like it's all about that lighter mentality. Mm. Then you're lifting the same weight. So, I mean, that can you relate the mental aspect of gymnastics across to, uh, I guess, weightlifting as well and that fact that you want to land a trick and kind of land that to get over that mental aspect. And then this time around, it's crossing that barrier of, of lifting something heavier or I guess getting that technique right to lift it heavier along the way. Yeah, this is- Interesting, I've been thinking about weightlifting in competition versus other sports in competition. If you think about gymnastics, you have skills where you use measured power. Um, you will know that a certain amount of power in a jump through your hips and in rotation will land you a somersault on your feet on a 10-centimeter beam. Over-rotate it with the excitement, not good. You step deduction. Under-rotate it, um, you step deduction or you fall off the beam, like if you go crooked weightlifting there's there's still a technical aspect you can over pull the bar and end up flying behind you you can be slightly out of position and the bar swings out in front of you and it lands well in front of you but the there's there's definitely an aspect of technical execution but you're harnessing your absolute effort in one one minute one really short moment and that's the difference you're not i don't repeat my one rms um, my one rep max- maximums in training for practice in gymnastics. The way we trained was we did 
we did a certain number of repetitions of our competition routine each day in training twice a day we'd do 10 repetitions of our being routine and we'd try and make it perfect weightlifting i i snatched 101 kilos at the olympic games the last time i snatched something comparable was february of 2020 so over wow. a year beforehand i snatched 100 um it's it's different preparation and a different goal and outcome in competition situation. And is that so you don't peak early? Like you don't want to all of a sudden go into an Olympics going, well, I'm, I'm lifting 105, so I've got this. And then all of a sudden come Olympic competition, you're struggling to lift over 100? Yeah, I think if, if I've always been a competition lifter, you use the adrenaline, you use the excitement, you use the environment to give you more energy to perform on the day you hear about these stories of mothers lifting cars off their babies when there's an accident adrenaline is a powerful thing if i were lifting 105s in, in training i'd be like damn we're gonna have a good comp um your baseline strength will have a massive impact on what you're capable of on competition day but your ability to execute that under pressure and um, that that makes the best lifters whether or not it's weight you've done before which what is that feeling like when a month or so in, you're being selected for an Australian side and then you go to that competition, you're wearing the green and gold, you're representing Australia. I mean, this journey is just all of a sudden just taken such a, a quick path because mm. you've obviously always aspired to represent Australia in one sport and all of a sudden you're here. I mean, do you feel a bit like a fish out of water or do you feel like, well, this is my destiny? I, I was always destined to represent Australia somewhere. It just doesn't happen to be in the sport that I initially thought it would be. I felt ridiculously like a fish out of water at my first international competition. I was such a shy kid and I just did not have the skills to, you know, interact in a foreign foreign environment with different people. And I was terrified of the competition as well. It was, yeah, it didn't really feel like I'm, and I'm meant to be here moment. It was really scary at first, but the desire then to try and do better at the next one, um, was quite powerful. It is to try and, to try and conquer that difficult situation to try and do really well in, in, in such a challenging situation is it's been a driver. And what was the first event then that you was at, uh, what, what tournament was that a junior world championship, sort of like a Pacific championship. What was that first competition you were at? It was the 2013 Commonwealth youth championships, um, which was combined with the junior and senior event. So we went away as a massive senior junior youth team. Um, so we had like a separate manager for the kids that we had a curfew and <laughs> we still got to mingle and meet with the, the older athletes and yeah. And how important is that then to kind of have that ability to mingle? Cause I can imagine that you're so fresh to the sport. You're also quite young still. So, I mean, is it kind of important to, I guess, mingle and get advice, maybe get a mentor, like have somebody kind of, you know, take you through, you know, the mentality and kind of just the competition format, you know, what's it like being at a, a an event like that where you are mingling with other people from, you know, mm. different age groups and, and also different countries. The beauty about weightlifting is a, a local competition format is exactly the same as the uh, Olympic Games competition format. Timing is the same. Everything is dependent on the weight of the barbell and the, that that determines the order of the lifting. Um, the key for me and what I've developed, what I've been able to develop and what my coach has actually helped me with is is to feel comfortable and and happy in myself it's sort of weird when you talk about sport performance and feeling, feeling comfortable. And I think it comes down to confidence. 
um, I felt like such a fish out of water that um, I just felt out of place and, and you can't weightlifting is a, a neurophysiological sport. It starts from your head and if your head doesn't believe and your head is not comfortable, then, then well, not comfortable, but not confident, then, then you're sort of dooming yourself, not dooming yourself, but you, you're bootstrapping yourself from the start. So the big achievement for me was becoming a person that can go out there and feel like I belong there, feel like I belong in the training hall, that I can get the best out of myself in competition by using the support staff around me um, so that I can feel like I'm placed to perform my best on the competition platform when it comes to that. And is that a gradual process or do you kind of almost have a light bulb moment that you're at a competition and go, okay, no, I, I, I feel like I belong now? It's, it's about trusting the people around you and, and building that trust. Um, so the competitions that I've been to, I haven't, I often have not, they're coaches that I don't know. They're coaches based in other states. Um, so I need to be able to trust them. They need to be able to trust my lifting um, and to develop that sort of a rapport so I can get the best out of myself is is the difficulty. It's not something that develops. It developed really slowly for me. I was a kid that was too scared to say hello. Um, I didn't know that basic human um, interactions of like, you should say thank you when someone does something for you. Basic stuff like that. I mean, every kid is taught to say thank you, but I didn't really understand the meaning of it um, until I got older until I was, you know, sat down and told this person is going out of their way for you. I appreciate it. Um, so it was definitely a, a slow and gradual process. And despite it being so separate from the physical side of sport, I think it has such a massive bearing on how I can perform. You, a year after 2013, you went on to compete at the Nanjing Youth Olympics, the second ever Youth Olympics. Yeah, and I always that's love, right. I love hearing about the experiences from athletes who go on to compete at the, I guess, the full Olympics. Mm. Um, how did that, I guess, place you not only in the sport, you've, you're competing at a, a much bigger international competition, you know, more countries, more competitors, but looking back on that, did that help prepare you for what you experienced at Tokyo, kind of giving you that taste of the Olympics a little bit more and kind of preparing you for what eventually would be your full Olympic debut seven years later? Yeah, the Youth Olympics um, has been described as the closest event to an Olympic Games that is not the Olympic Games. It's organised by the International Olympic Committee. We had McDonald's, Macca's as a sponsor. We had a, a cafe um, <laughs> in, in the Tokyo. village. And <laughs> not in Tokyo, no. That, that was strange. I wasn't expecting that. Anyway, um, but it, it was the village multi-sport event experience that was super cool but that prepared me for what a um what a olympic games might look like which it must be just fascinating then kind of going back to ingrained in you that goal is rio sort of in gymnastics and there you are at, at a youth olympic something that maybe would have been possible with gymnastics of course too but to kind of just just feature that you're in china 
you know, you're competing against the best junior athletes in the world. You end up finishing seventh, which is no mean feat as well. I mean, kind of going back to that point about kind of belonging and that confidence and that sort of stuff. I mean, I can imagine at this point, you're placing seventh at a youth Olympics. You must all of a sudden thinking like, okay, well, you know, this is going pretty okay. Uh, I'm still representing Australia. This, this journey's going all right. Weightlifting's doing all right for Kiana. Yeah, so um, that, that Nanjing Youth Olympic Games was middle of my HSC, I think. It was between... Wow. Oh my God, I don't remember. It was between trials and, and the actual exam. So I was like, sweet, I can balance this. This is fun. Like, <laughs> go along. And I was just taking the opportunities as they came. I think I became more appreciative of, of what um, what I was able to, to do. Um, I, I may have placed seventh at that event, but I wasn't really in a position to challenge for anything um i remember going to my first junior worlds in 2014 and just i think the three australians that were on that team we each tried not to come last in our session and i think we succeeded i i, I remember i came second last um and so it was a real sense of do i really belong on the world weightlifting stage we're sort of just here and having a play and and you know, trying not to look rock bottom, rock bottom, and picking with one other person to have a bit of a, a game with it. And Youth Olympics, despite being such a big event, you, you sort of understand the uh, selection process for it. And so it's not the same as a Youth World Championships. In the same way that an Olympic Games is not the same representation as a World Weightlifting Championships. It's, it sort of works like that. But at the same time, it's still such a huge opportunity and it's, it's a different skill and it's a different challenge to do well on such a big platform as that. You're living in a village with all these other people, Australian team, you have the support staffs provided by the AOC, you have all these opportunities around you. The, one of the big things about the Olympic, uh, the Youth Olympic Games was them promoting us learning about other countries' cultures. So they had a lot of cultural tents in there and you could go along and there were activities and stuff and you learn a little bit about, about culture. It was less about sporting performance and more about learning about the world, which was kind of cool. And when you have a bunch of under 18s, it was nice to take away from the pressure of competing because being the second youth Olympic games, there wasn't that much of a, a precedence of um, how this was a stepping stone. Mm. If you get what I mean? Yeah, because, I mean, I remember when they first started in 2010 and just kind of like everything around that and then kind of each one sort of progressed along the way and sort of we've had a few athletes on now who have, have experienced Youth Olympic Games and it's, I mean, it's it's just such an interesting concept which I'm really surprised it took so long to kind of do. Like it's sort of something the ISC has sort of always wanted to do but it sort of then it mm. kind of came about. So it's just, it's fascinating learning that cultural aspect too because that's a, that is a great way of sort of, I guess, experiencing that because... You know, I, I can imagine that it's something that you don't really experience some of these cultures maybe of some of these countries that you, I mean, I'm never going to know about Burkina Faso or something, a place like that, yeah. or, which yeah. you're never going to come in day-to-day life in Australia, are you? Perhaps no. Yeah, not, no, no disrespect if you've got a friend from Burkina Faso, <laughs> but like, I mean, you, you might have a best, I don't know, but um, it's, it's first totally country that came to my like, mind. You can't, you can't, you can't emulate going and traveling to these countries, but certainly the the, the stuff that's opened my eyes the most is, is traveling. Um, I got the opportunity when I, between gymnastics and weightlifting to go to Tanzania. Um, it was with a youth leadership group race in Brisbane and they, they take a bunch of young adults um, each year um to do what they call a cultural immersion so you do things like 
for, for shy 15 year old me, this was terrifying. Um, teaching in the local schools and teaching them some stuff about Australia and being hosted by local families. And, and then you do the stuff like going on safari. And we also climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, but the, the forcing yourself to, to be out there in front of these, these different people and also interacting with them on their day-to-day basis. Like I, I, I came back from that trip and I just felt like my house was too big. My room was too big. It just felt so strange. I, I remember visiting, um, a man who was just so, so stoked to have a white person, a Mzungu in his, in his household. It was just such an eye-opening experience in that sense to, to teach you about the world. Mm. Um, so bring it back to Youth Olympics. I love that the that there was a cultural focus that it pulled away from performance because at, at that age, it's not the Youth Olympics is not the be all and end all of sport. Mm. It is an experience. Which did, was there a particular culture or sort of a, one of the cultural tents you remember that you took most away from, or kind of you know were were most fascinated by? Not really. Um, I think I was still so shy and I'm still like this now. Like I I don't, I found it hard to initiate. There's always a a big pin um, trading event at, at multi-sport games. You get your national federation pins or your national Olympic committee pins and you go out and you meet people and you, um, you exchange them. So you end up with a whole massive collection of them. Um, I, I, I remember arm wrestling a girl from <laughs> I don't know what country it was some somewhere in the Middle East and and just you don't have that chance to experience <laughs> that anywhere else. So is this um, arm wrestling for like remember. a pin, like basically, like give me a pin, I'll beat you with arm wrestling. It, it was just like for the hell of it, like <laughs> <laughs> it sort of got a bit. You know, with like these Olympic games, you spend or these multi-sport games events, you spend the whole two and a half weeks in the village, and after yeah. you've competed, it's like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> Arm wrestle random people. Why not? Exactly. exactly. Did you win? I think I did. Yeah. I can't so you really did for remember. The story, at least. Yeah, like yeah, you, definitely. You know, you you kicked her definitely. ass. I'm sure <laughs> I did. <laughs> like she went back to the Middle East and was like, "Oh, I'm never messing with Australians in in, in arm wrestling never. again." Like you never. know, like just absolutely. <laughs> I actually, it's, it's one of these things that um, I do love hearing about the pin trading aspect because it's always fascinated me. You know, pin trading at these events and just learning about it. Um, and like, is is it is there an app? Is it true there's an app you can have to kind of like work out like meet up with people for pins and that? Was that something you experienced? I did a terrible job in Tokyo, so um. I spent so much of we obviously had to leave within 48 hours of our event. So it ended up for me, meaning I had about 36 hours, a day and a half. So before the event, I was very hesitant about, you know, going to the gym, the village gym where all the countries would congregate, spending too much time in the dining hall around everyone. Because a positive COVID test would mean your Olympic games are gone. So caution was like (laughs) the priority. And then in the 24, 36 hours afterwards, I was like, hey, do you want to change pins? And um, <laughs> there was an app in Tokyo, but it was sort of, it was it was called PinQuest. And I never actually did it. <laughs> Terrible, <laughs> I know. Um, but you had to answer this um, these Olympics-themed questions and you could get um, some exclusive pins for the people that actually bothered to, wow. to go through and answer the questions. Um, but I think... 
you get a limited number of pins from your Australian um, from the Australian Olympic Committee, and the boxing kangaroo ones are really sought after. Right. And so everyone wants. They're actually quite a, a decent commodity. So if you have a bit of time, if I'd had more time, you'd sort of play your game a little. Yeah. <laughs> a little negotiate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you hold on to the valuable ones, and you know you can get like different countries will have like USA Athletics, or and there, there are some which are are cooler than others. I'm, I think I've got a Brazil one with a with a tiger on it or some sort of wow. some sort of cat or something on it. Um, and that was a cool one that everyone picked because everyone wanted the boxing kangaroo. Yeah. Um, so there's sort of a hierarchy to it. And did you, did you then just do the standard, like put them around the lanyard or do you kind of just keep them to add to something else later on that you'll work out? Um, I, I, you store them on your lanyard. That's, that's yeah. the easiest way to do things. Um, and then your lanyard gets too heavy if you yep. trade enough pins, so you take them off and start over again. So in that <laughs> in that 24, 36 hours, I just tried to swap my pins. That's all I did. I just stopped random people walking around that looked like they were perceptive to it and be like, hey, do you want to trade a pin? <laughs> um, it was good fun because you have like these random conversations of like, a boxer from Tunisia and, and her coach and oh, how did you go? And it's just these random little corridor conversations that you have that are, that are pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's such a unique sort of, I guess, socializing aspect of it too. And then you've got people out there who are listening to this right now going like, Oh, I've got to hit Keanu up. She's got some, I want that Brazilian tiger. Because, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a, often regarded as kind of what the, the unofficial sport of the Olympics, right? Because I mean, I remember yeah. back in, in Sydney when they used to do the, you know, hundred every hundred days they would do like an eight hundred days to go or seven hundred days to go, and kind of they would go like hotcakes because you'd snap them up and then they would become rare. I think I've got a eight hundred right? days to go or something like that for Sydney, which apparently are rare. Uh, so you know, who knows? I, I become poor one day, I can sell that. I don't Hold know, but it's it. yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's just it's interesting <laughs> with those. I wonder. I wonder if Br- Brisbane have already started like the however many you know ten thousand days to go or something like that. I would not like be surprised. <laughs> They'd yeah. have a pin already. <laughs> yeah, there'd have to be some sort of something, right? Even though it's eleven years away, right? Um, after Nanjing, how how close mm. were you to making Rio? You you went to your first World Championships the next year in twenty fifteen. You had the Oceania yeah. Championships in twenty sixteen. I mean, was Rio a realistic possibility that you could have qualified, or did you just nearly qualify? How did all that play out? I came super duper close to Rio, um, like ridiculously close um it sort of got to the end of 2015 and and i got to go to my first senior world championships which was being held in houston and i was competing up in the next class in the 69s um, because i'd done nationals in the 69s and they just kept me there for worlds because we had two 63s and there's a two per country limit per weight class um so i i had a breakout at that 2015 nationals and did some I clean a joke more than I did at this Olympic Games by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so looking at at Rio and, and looking at the qualification process it, it started to look like a long shot um and then come sort of January 2016 we started to put the cogs in 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 process to train more seriously for it and I think that was the first time in weightlifting that I was like right let's put everything into this let's try and put everything in 
because I don't know, I, I still hadn't really like gone in guns blazing. In before I retired from gymnastics, I spent about a year and a half recovering from one particular injury and I thought about quitting the sport. I wasn't progressing. I couldn't do these skills anymore. And and I came back. I was like, no, no, no. I'm sure I can get more out of myself. I'm going to do. I was the most disciplined I've ever been when I was 14. And I was so scared of doing that again for fear of missing out. So come January 2016, we started to put that process into place. And I trained my butt off for a maybe. Um, it depended on the way the qualification process worked at that time, one female or one male would go to Rio for Australia. Um, there were a certain amount of competitions where you could post a qualifying total and they did it as a percentage above a particular number for each weight class. So I knew that this person in this weight class had done X total. So I knew I needed a slightly higher percentage of that than um, of that than in my class. So that worked out to a kilo number. Um, and it came down to the last event. Um, so the last event was the Oceania Championships. And the other aspect of this qualification process was that in order to qualify the one male, one female, Australia had to place high enough within the continental championships. So our male and female team had to place within the top four, top five to earn a quota spot. Within the same event, all of the Australians were competing against each other for that percentage over a particular number. Wow. So that they could get the spot. Wow. So there was this real contrasting goal to that competition. So we, we went over there as a full team and I wasn't afforded my, my personal coach there. I was 18 and doing the biggest thing I'd ever done in my life. And I was terrified, <laughs> but I'd also done so much work. I knew I'd put everything into it. Um, so I went over there and I had to, I mentioned these two contrasting goals. We had to each make a total. There couldn't be any bomb outs. Um, so our team could place high enough so we could secure a spot to Rio. That was number one goal. Number two goal, and it had to come second. Each individual athlete was trying to reach their X number to beat the person that was top ranked. So we watched the 48s go, and I was wondering, well, what's the 48 going to do? If she lifts X plus one, then that means I'm going to have to lift another kilo. Um, and we'd calculated beforehand. I knew I needed a 206 total to go to Rio and take the Rio spot as it stood. Mm. It, it could have been thrown, it could have been 210, depending on what the other athletes did. So we watched the 48s go, thought, oh, this girl could totally do it. She's she's done more before. She's come down to 48. Um, she's super strong. She's a great weightlifter, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, I could not watch. I refused to watch. I didn't go to any of the um, competitions to see what was happening because I didn't want to get caught up in the nervous energy of, for it, of it. So I had my coach sending me back from Australia. Um, all right, this is what's happened or not even this is what's happened. You still need 206. Okay, next class goes. Um, 
and and we're watching the next athlete go and seeing whether she will do more than her previous total to push that X number higher. She did exactly the same. Far out. It's my go next and I still have to do 206. Just 206. I reckon we can do 206. So I go out there and I'm nervous as all hell because it it, it could mean everything to me, this event. Um, and I went out and missed my open. I was like, okay, can't do that. Um, well, I've done that now. Um, and I, I came back and made my second. And then so we we're a little short. Um, is that what happened? I think I missed my third. No, I made my third. I made my third. So I ended up on a 93 snatch. Um, we'd been hoping for maybe a kilo or two more, but it, because I'd missed my open, I didn't have a chance. So we knew that we needed a 113 cleaner jerk. Massive weight. I hadn't done before. I'd done a little bit more off blocks. I'd done, I'd put it over my head. I'd jerked it from the blocks. Um, and I thought I was strong enough. Um, the warm-up was a little shaky and then I had, it was just a run-of-the-mill competition and someone else was bombing out in front of me. So I had, I had to go out on my opener at a, a slightly more conservative weight than I wanted to because the Australians team said that we have to make a total so we can qualify our quota spot to the Olympic Games. You can't open on exactly what you want to open on because you haven't done that at this body weight before. Okay, we'll compromise and went 107 for my first one and then the Australian coach I was working with made the call to go let's go second attempt and give you two shots at, at the 206 total two shots at the Rio team so I waited for the New Zealand girl having a shock of a comp at her same be all and end all comp and she ended up bombing out and that's a horrible thing but it, it also changes the flow of the competition she was on, I think, 110 or 112, and I wanted 113. So I was waiting, waiting. I was like, oh, ready to go, or am I ready to go? And um, the Australian team coach was like, oh, do you want to go and do another lift in the warm-up room? I was like, no, 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 I just, I just want to go. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I went out there, and both of the 113s I did, I got stuck at parallel, so halfway out at the squat. And uh, I, I'm known for particularly then grinding out these squats and still being able to put it over my head. So after the first one, I was like, oh, if I can get this half an inch higher, maybe I can stand up. Maybe I can put it over my head. So I came back out. Was this, this was the be, an end, be all and end all lift. This was the Olympic Games lift. Like you think about these, these clutch lifts and you wonder, have you got it in you in the moment? You go out there and... I got stuck at parallel again and I, I I did not give up for seven full seconds. It's on video. Um, thinking, pushing and and it feels like you're pushing up against concrete. Like you, you can't move it. Um, concrete is not going to move, but I, I thought if I could get half an inch more, then maybe I'd have a shot at the jerk. So I stuck there. And weightlifters don't do seven seconds. We spoke about this before. It's five seconds, sit down, have a rest. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted it that much and I I pushed it that much, but it just it just wasn't to be. And so it dropped down and, and that was it. That was no Olympic Games for you. You couldn't do enough. But one of the most things I'm – one of the – well, the thing I'm most proud about 
for that event itself was I faced that disappointment. I faced the reality of I couldn't do enough. I went out the back, shed a tear, <laughs> and then came out again as senior Oceania champion. It was the first time I'd had the Australian anthem played for me. I knew I'd left it all out there on the platform. Um, I couldn't have done any more. Maybe strategy could have been different. Maybe my, my coach that knew me well might have told me to do things differently. It might have known my body a little bit better. It might have encouraged me to do things slightly differently, but that was the way it was. And it happened as it did. And I, I'm most proud of having that disappointment, but also being able to go out and stand there on the top of the podium and appreciate that I'd won a senior Oceania's it's not something I'd done before. It was it was huge. And to stand there with the, the Australian anthem playing in the background. And I made that all sound like a be all and end all situation. I was lucky enough to work with a sports psych in the lead up um, to Rio. I, I totally went all in on that that campaign and and, and justified um, doing the psychological work because it was a, it was fiscal as well at that time can I afford this um and we really went in with a mentality of I'm in a win-win situation here I win and do well at this I go to Rio awesome I don't I've got another shot in a few weeks to not go to Rio that's gone no chance there to go to a junior world championships 20 and under um, and we thought maybe I had a chance for medal, maybe. So came back from Fiji and sort of processed it and started training, got back into moving again and then actually PB'd both lifts in those couple of weeks between, um, between trials olympic trials and the junior worlds and then i went out at junior worlds and and had a cracker of a, a comp and and got myself i went out on my opener and i i secured a medal wow. in the snatch and and got myself a silver in the snatch in the end and a bronze in the total and that was a massive goal for me because as i said a little earlier like 2014 junior worlds i was fighting for second last hmm um some of it comes into who turns up on the day of these comps and um, how the competition plays who makes lifts um but i had the shot and i made it and i knew i was a strong snatcher um i i had a slightly disappointing cleaner jerk i didn't make my third lift um and i i almost thought it was a my third lift was 111 kilos and I snatched 95. So if I'd done the 111, it would have been a 206 total. And I think I, I wouldn't have been able to <laughs> deal with it mentally if I'd done 206, what I needed for the Olympic Games a handful of weeks after I needed to. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was just a – I didn't stand it up. Um, I didn't fight as hard. I just, just dropped it. Um, but – Oh, oh, it wasn't a great clean and jerk. So I was like, oh, I'll probably come down like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rankings. Um, so standing in the back room with the high performance coordinator and she, we're both looking at the board and I'm sort of in la la land, happy that I finished. And the medal is sinking in a little bit. And we're watching the board. I'm like, 
hang on a second, the Ukrainian lifter had just missed a lift or just taken a lift that, I can't remember whether she missed or made it, but she'd taken a lift for a total, it was her last lift, that wasn't going for a medal. I was like, hang on, I'm ranked third. Wait, what? <laughs> um, I did not believe it in that moment that, that, like it had to be told to me like three or four times, made blatantly clear cut that I had won a total medal. And the moment that that hit, the moment of realisation, I've, I've never become overwhelmed with emotion like that before. It just hit from from the middle, from within. And that feeling was just nuts. Wow. I was just crazy. And then to go up and stand on, on a, a world championships podium was unreal. Such contrasting emotions to kind of like have what you're saying there from nearly making an Olympic team, oceanic gold, world championship silver and bronze. I mean, was that some of the most craziest weeks you've ever lived in your life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That whole lead up was just some of the best training I've done in terms of my mental focus and, and discipline and just doing the, the tiny little things that you needed to do. Granted, I'm an old athlete. I don't need to do more tiny little things to, to deal with myself now. Um, but it was certainly a whirlwind of six months. Which, does that then spur you on? You're talking about what that emotion would have been if you, if you get the 206 total, but, you know, the, the success aside, that disappointment of not making Rio, no doubt watching the games at home, going, that could have been me. I mean, I can't imagine that that doesn't spur you on even more for the next, well, what should have been four years, ultimately turned out to be five years, to kind of push for that eventual nod that you eventually do make the team for Tokyo. I mean, does that just spur you on over the next sort of cycle before you get to the next Olympic trials for 2020? You know what? I thought it would. Um, people talk about the post-Olympics blues, but um, I feel like I came so close in, in 2016 and I came back from that junior worlds and I was at uni break. So I had one exam to finish off. I, I wasn't working at the time. Um, and I got the opportunity to look after someone's cat for six weeks, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, I got to, to cool live in this awesome, awesome <laughs> apartment in Queenscliff for like six weeks' time um, while this this couple, this other couple, got, went off and got married and went on their honeymoon. Freedom, I've, I've achieved this great thing. I'm going to be so motivated, and it was crushingly the opposite um I, I didn't understand what was going on because i was like i've just had this amazing high sure i missed out on rio and it was a bit tough to watch that um i didn't really watch it to know that it was going on that i i could have um but it plunged me into a massive low i don't want to train i don't want to work hard i, I think i I'd, I'd committed so hard for that previous six months um, and sure, it ended up in a wonderful result, but I just did not know how to manage it on the way out on the other side. There was disappointment. There was happiness, but I I stopped training. I stopped training consistently. I wasn't really doing much in terms of uni. Um, I didn't have any structure. 
I didn't have my family around me or I was just on my own um, with this awesome cat, but <laughs> on my own and in my own head that it just dumped me in the pits um, for a good amount of time. And, and with weightlifting, well, with me, I don't know whether it probably contributed to by weightlifting and also gymnastics, the, the, the down in the dumps and that, that freedom and lack of discipline and lack of structure just meant I ate. That's pretty much all I did. I was looking for, well, what's going to make me happy day to day. And at that time it was, it was instant gratification. It was, it was freaking Pokemon go at that time. <laughs> that, oh, that those was days. the craze of that time. So it was the only <laughs> thing I could like find I could focus on was it would take me out of the house a little bit and I, I'd wander around and it was pretty cool to catch a train into Circular Key and just see everyone around at, at peak Pokemon Go. <laughs> when you could leave the house um, and do social things as well. Oh, my gosh. Good old days. Full of people, good old days, <laughs> eh? Um, but I, I just didn't have the structure to do anything more productive than instant gratification. And I thought that I was doing what I wanted, but it was not fulfilling me at all. It was making me unhappy. And I was losing. I, I'd go into train and because of the lack of structure and, and you decondition and then it feels heavy and then you're like, oh, this is not me. I used to be able to do this easily. What's wrong with me? And, yeah, the low was really, really low. So how do you and, overcome uh, that then to kind of turn that around to eventually qualify mm-hmm. for an Olympic Games a few years later? It's been a roller coaster. The, the big thing was a mental shift in training into – Instead of I'd snatch 95, so 70 kilos should feel light, I'd get really pissed off at myself when it didn't feel light. Um, and I had to be able to, to take a step back and, and be humble enough um, and to take the hit to my ego. And you know, weightlifting is a massive ego sport. And, um, to go into training and be fine with and want to make 70 kilos a little better and want to make 50 kilos a little better. And it took me a long time to wrap my head around that. But once I made that connection and stopped condemning myself for not being able to do things I could do before, that's when I was able to start to make a little progress again. And I made a little progress and then I sort of fell off again and I made a little progress again and fell off. And then post Com Games trials in 2017, where I missed out, um, I got pipped by a kilo at the last trial event by a, a lifter who'd done the work. I had not. So what did I do? Um, after that, I, I started to get the fire back for the competing and for the training again. I made a great run into 2018. And then that, that sort of built the foundation for the run into Tokyo. October 2018 is when the Tokyo qualification began. Um, so yeah, that's that's how we got to to got here. to Tokyo basically, which then begs a question: through that period to when mm. it started to when you knew you had qualified, I can imagine that that is a pretty emotional moment. Then to go through everything that you were just explaining to go through to then all of a sudden go well. 
holy shit buckets, I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah, it really, I feel like I have to pick up the pieces of the person that I was to put myself back together into an athlete, into this qualification process that was meant to be 18 months that then became two and a half years um, or two-ish years um, to compete. The first event was 2018 Worlds to compete there and then to go to the next one. And then partway through that is when I moved to Adelaide and, and to, to really, uh, I was forced to make the move so that I could put myself in a position where I believed I would be best to train and compete for Tokyo. Um, so to get to the last time we competed that, that counted for Tokyo qualification was February, 2020. Wow. Then March hit and then everything stopped. So you, you just um, quickly, you knew you had qualified though in February before the games were postponed or you, you didn't know at that time? No, our qualification process was due to end at the end of April in right. 2020. Right. So February would have been my second last comp. I'd, I'd done, there. we were required to compete in six international events over 18 months. So I'd done six. I could have stopped there. But everyone else had another chance. Um, our continental championships, our Oceania championships were meant to run in, in in April of 2020. So by February 2020, I knew I'd put myself in a really good position. I knew that the other Australian girl in my class would need to do like a 20 kilo PB, which is unheard of, to get ahead of me. So I was quietly confident, but not confirmed. And throughout COVID, the process kept getting extended and extended and extended as each competition got cancelled and cancelled. And eventually we got to the stage and it was about, it wasn't long ago, May of this year. Wow. Where they finally said, no, Oceania's is not going to run. There were a couple of continental Europeans ran earlier this year. I think Asian championships ran, but our Oceania continental championships ended up not being able to run. So it was only shortly before I was officially announced that it was like, all right, we're closing this process. This is the rankings. Wow. And then within a few weeks of that, June 22nd was the AOC's team announcement when it sort of became real and you get handed that awesomely massive boarding pass. And it's like, yeah. The Kimono yeah, and all that, that sort ticket. of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that was super cool. I loved that they made it such a a cool process and a Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a bit of a show. It's kinda of like almost like uh, you know, like say in cricket when you see them get the baggy green or something like that. They've kind of got that sort of It makes it, it yeah. special. Yeah. And important. Which um, is just- it must be just all that work though, and particularly that waiting period where kind of you just, you know, is this going to go ahead and then kind of this? It I still mean, didn't feel guaranteed, like, yeah, up until really being on the plane was like, oh, is, is COVID going to ruin this somehow? Because there was still that uncertainty, wasn't it? Even like the day before yeah. the opening ceremony, there was almost that feeling that something could happen because what Japan basically went into the, uh, you know, Tokyo had sort of locked down again, didn't they? And they kind of, you know, cancelled the crowds and everything. So it was still that Oh, the media was hyping it up hugely. I mean, even yeah. the last couple of weeks I spent in, in Adelaide, I was going around and working and, and I was like, what if I come into contact with a COVID positive? 
they were like next to no cases in Adelaide at the time, but there was a little bit happening in New South Wales. And I was like, if I, if I get told to self-isolate, will I be allowed to go to Tokyo? Hmm. How does that work? And then you're like, oh, gosh, don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, just lock yourself Should in I your room. Should I go to work? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was really freaky because it, it's not, it wasn't a fear of the virus. It was a fear of losing your dream. Yeah. So Which it just, really did not. Yeah. I can imagine. Even until like the competition day. Yeah. Like even you just. don't want to do it. You're wondering if anyone in the village might be COVID positive, any one of the volunteers, the contractors. And it was just like, this is, could this get ripped away from me? I'm not sure. Did, did, when you though were confirmed before you sort of got on that plane, I mean, do you, do you take a moment of, of reflection to go through everything you've been through, you know, uh, just a nice little moment to kind of realize that you've achieved these goals that you kind of did set out as a, as a six-year-old, basically? I mean, kind of, do you yeah. have a brief moment like that? Um, it felt sweet in that because it was officially announced, it was public. So I'd been, you know, with my colleagues at work saying, oh, I can't confirm anything. It's not guaranteed, blah, 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 for a long time. Um, and once it became official, it was like, yeah, no, this is happening. I've earned it. Um, there wasn't a massive reflection process. It was still, you, you've got to do the work every day. Um, I think I banked on quarantine being the reflection time for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of eventuated now that I'm out of quarantine. I'm like, yeah, I did think. I didn't come to a resolution or a solution as much as I, or a finality as much as I perhaps idealistically wanted. Um, but yeah. Does it, come then with a moment when you're out there on the floor and you're you're about to make that first lift that I mean it's always interesting speaking to our guests about maybe when you you realize you're an Olympian like is it the moment you get the boarding pass is it the moment you're stepping out the floor and you're seeing the rings if you got to do the opening ceremony the opening ceremony like is there a moment where all of a sudden it just kind of hits you and you go crap I'm an Olympian yeah it, it was opening ceremony um being able to go out in March and being able to go out and see the Olympic rings and see the opening of the games. It just felt so, it was insanely emotionally. Like I walked on my own and I, I was just like welling up with emotion that whole time. I was like, this is really happening. This is, this is for the kid that like really, really struggled um, during gymnastics, post gymnastics, during weightlifting that, that wondered whether it was all worth it, wondered whether, I could. Um, Which, that, that's when it hit home. It's, I mean, even outside of the fact that it was a unique opening ceremony, I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that you've got that special moment. You're walking behind the Australian flag, you know, you're into an Olympic stadium, the rings are everywhere, yeah. just like all that kind I didn't of anticipate stuff. it would feel like that, mm. but it did. Was it... I mean, what was that like experience? I think you might be the first athlete we've talked to that actually went to the opening ceremony. We've talked to people about the closing ceremony, but I mean, sure. watching it at home, it's weird. But like, I mean, was it, I guess you've not experienced another Olympics, so you didn't know any different, but was it sort of a unique experience being in that stadium with no crowd and kind of just how it was? Like, did it feel strange? I can only compare it to Youth Olympics where we, I cannot even recall whether we marched. I don't think that we did. But I remember sitting in the audience at Youth Olympics and watching the performances and just being overawed by what a beautiful performance they put on. Um, 
the experience of actually marching is is different. You're bust there. There's a lot, a lot of waiting in lines under the. You don't see the the show, the performance per se. Um, I mean, Kate Campbell. I looked at her and I'm like, you know what you're doing here. She come out. We were in our formal uniform. We had a little sports craft bag, very handy, um, but small. And Kate Campbell whips out this little tiny little tripod thing that turns into a stool and she sits down. I'm like, that was smart. <laughs> the rest of us are like, like getting She'd tired. She'd been to a few at that point. Sitting on the like, floor. Yeah. You know, yeah. Learned from experience. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us are sitting on the ground and it was really hot and humid. And um, you, you wait in a massive conga line basically for your turn as, as a country. And I don't know what was with the order in Japan. I, I don't I think know it's what Japanese there. alphabet from memory. I think that's there we go. how they did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we were 30th or something. So there was a significant, significant amount of sitting around and, and Which, if you're Greek, you always know you, you're handy, right? Because you're going to be first if you're Greek. So <laughs> it's kind of like the perks, I guess, of. Yeah. Uh, Pretty cool, hey. For Greece. You know, <laughs> you're out and already you're in the state straight away, boom. And you know, the the, the less perk of being the host Done. nation, right? Like you gotta you gotta wait around. That. <laughs> now, one thing one quick thing before I touch on how you went, because you went very well, but um obviously at the Olympics it's a little bit different to some other competitions because it's just it's a total medal. They don't obviously do the medal for the snatch as well as the the total. Now in the snatch side of things, uh you were Six, um, which, Fifth, I think, but, which is nuts. <laughs> which you lift a personal best to a 101. Uh, and yeah. I also believe this is on your birthday, was it not, too? So, uh, yeah, must be a pretty crazy experience to say that you compete in the Olympics, do a couple of personal bests in that. Why, why is there not a medal for snatch? Is it just the fact that the Olympics are kind of very stringent on the amount of medals they can give out? And that's kind of why? I mean, is, is there any other reason besides they don't do the whole snatch and total at an Olympics? I believe that's what the reasoning is with IOC. They're, what's the word, possessive with their medals that they give away to different sports. And so I think, I don't know if weightlifting ever was, I mean, back in the day, back in the day, there was the one hand lift, the two hand lift and Hmm. clean and press. And I don't know whether they gave medals out for those. Um, But Olympic Games has always, as far as I've known, been, you get a medal for the total. Whereas World Championships, you get medals for snatch, clean and jerk and total. Which is that, how does that affect you in a competition? Because like you go back to your point you're mentioning at the uh, Junior Worlds that you automatically know you've got a medal. Does it, do you sometimes think, well, I've got a medal, great. Like, or do you like, one medal's enough, I want I want all three. Or like, you know, as you said, the total kind of like, I mean, it's, it's a unique sport. Because say, it's not like, say, in a in an athletics race at, say, a, a 1500, you're not getting a medal for every split time you do after every 400. Like, it's kind of a Yeah, we totally sport. do a biathlon, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the modern pentathlon, you get a you get a gold after the fencing and a bronze after the swimming. Like, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's a unique sport. I mean, imagine if they split sport. it up. Yeah. They split it up into snatch and cleaner jerk. I don't think yeah. weightlifters would cope with competing on more than one day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, don't think, they don't like that. But how do you then feel then, say, at the Olympics? You get that personal best. You get a 101 in the snatch. You ultimately mm. end up with a 108 in the clean and jerk. Again, another personal best. But like, no, I mean, that best- wasn't. That was that was that was a poor performance. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a, being best birthday present ever. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I I mean, had the games gone ahead in 2020, I think it would have fallen one day off, and my birthday would have been the day four day after. Comp. So 
it happening in 2021. I knew it was the 27th of July. I was like, oh, this could be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I got number seven as well. So my, my year of birth, so my birth date is 2707, 1997. Wow. And then I got number seven and I was like, oh, this is all coming to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just stoked that that aligns and then to go out there on, on the biggest, the hardest platform that you've ever competed in um, and to do a personal best. That was just cherry on top, really. Uh, I would have loved to have come through with a better clean and jerk, but I think I spent all my energy and adrenaline on the snatch and I'm historically a, a better snatcher. Um, I, I think I fell well below my potential on the clean and jerk, definitely. Um, but to, to make a personal best on an Olympic Games platform, yeah, I'm going to take that. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Which it, it must just be insane in that feeling of, of leaving the building. I mean, do, do you get back to the village and there's a birthday cake waiting for you? I mean, were people kind of there kind of ready to go with it and kind of like, oh, yeah, birthday cake, PB, Olympic Games. I mean, gosh, just, yeah, what a pretty good day. It's sort of odd. Like the first place you always go to after a weightlifting competition, 99% of the time is anti-doping. And I'm always always terribly slow at producing a urine sample for some reason i end up always a bit dehydrated in the competition <laughs> so two hours in there i've called my coach and um chatted with the anti-doping people and learning some things about each other and i'm jumping up and down trying to get ready to pee <laughs> um you head back to the village i headed back to the village on my own um and it feels sort of surreal like you just did this this amazing thing and and you've finished and it's done and everyone else is just going about their competition preparation and for hustle and bustle. And, um, and the first people I saw was actually one of the physios from the South Australian sports Institute. I'd never met him before Tokyo. Um, probably seen him around, but we, we didn't have a conversation until I was in Tokyo and he goes, Hey, how'd you go? We watched it. It was awesome. And that interaction, I was still pretty emotional from it. And yeah, that was pretty, pretty special um i didn't get a birthday cake on my birthday but it was that physio james that the next day came and gave me a cake piece of cake that he'd got somewhere well which was pretty sweet (laughs) which was pretty sweet i did i don't know the cakes at the dining hall but it got to like dinner which was super late because i'd gone back to the venue and watched the a session the metal session um and i just didn't want cake so i was like oh well Yep. Another day. <laughs> yep, another day. What was the the reaction like from home? Like not just necessarily from your family and friends, but uh, you know, were you were you getting many sort of messages from fans who had been watching it? Maybe some other sort of up and coming weightlifters who were maybe you know a bit inspired by your performance, things like that. I was absolutely blown away by the number of messages, text messages, social media messages, all the different platforms. I literally had like over a hundred message requests, over a hundred messages that I like comments there were so many places and it took me a good week or so to try and get to them and see them um the response was overwhelming these are people that come out of the cobwebs that you've like haven't spoken to you since you were you know in like year six in primary school um but it's really cool that it brings people together like that um i heard back from my workplace that work had almost stopped and everyone was watching like 
I don't I don't work in anything that's remotely related to sport. These are normal people that have taken an interest and and watched the Olympic Games when they might otherwise not have. Um, and to go back to work today after six weeks of not being there, it was, it was the stories I've heard and and the conversations it's opened up has been really fascinating. The response from back home, like with with no one being in the audience. It honestly felt like there were a lot of people behind the cameras, you know, the big classic cameramen that come around. It, it honestly did feel like there were people behind them. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good excuse too to sort of ask the boss for like, hey, can I have a couple of weeks off? Oh, what, what for? Oh, just go on to the Olympics, <laughs> you know, just, you know. You know, they were absolutely wonderful with it. Um, yeah, they really, really were. Um, actually, not long before, I departed for Tokyo. I was um, awarded, I guess you say, a full-time permanent role um, in my job. So to come back to job security, yeah, that's a big win. <laughs> another, another big win. Olympics, yeah, best, best. job when you get back home, kind that of, you know, massive. ticking off the box. I mean, I n- that job was something that came about because of COVID. It was something that I got in that first week of COVID just by sheer circumstance luck um i only spent a week not working a week of between like losing my work when covid hit and gaining what was then a full-time temporal um so for that to eventuate and uh, alongside this journey at the same time is i think having retired from gymnastics and struggled with that having a other stuff going for me Mm. Um, feels like a massive win because it's at that level where I guess some people hear you're an Olympian that must automatically mean you're you're a full time rich and famous athlete right where it's 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 not the you case I mean you're not Kate Campbell right so <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh, like I don't know Kate what Campbell, Kate Campbell's but... personal situation is but I'm sure she does some amazing stuff day in day out mm. which it's just it's fascinating though because like you go through all those struggles you you, you come to that point you, you're home now. But no matter what happens in your life, no matter what eventuates from this point on, you're you're always an Olympian. It's like that old saying that you're never a former Olympian; you're always an Olympian, and it's pretty that can cool, never right? be taken away from you now, Kiana. Like you, no. you can tell that to the day you die that I'm an Olympian. You have the O L Y after your name for the rest of your life now. It's pretty cool. Um, I think coming so close to Rio and missing out, and it's very weirdly the stark opposite where there's like crickets silence when you're struggling Mm. it makes you appreciate how much people get around you when you do go through the process um and there's also it's it's nice to have a lot more conversation around this whole concept of the post-olympics blues um it took me a long time to understand that with every high is a corresponding low um, and that I have to consciously deal with that. I can't just passively go through it if I want to. I don't know. I used to have like an inherent belief that my brain inherently would do the things that would make me okay all the time. And that that period in 2016 through 2017, I shattered that. I was like, oh, my gosh, I actually need to consciously work on this all the time. So... It was very interesting to see the differences between the courts, making versus not making. 
but it really makes you appreciate it's, it's the power of the Olympic movement. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And is that something now that you can give back? Like, are you being asked to maybe go to a school and give a talk? Or if you're not, like something you would like to do, maybe go along sure. to a, a, a weightlifting club and speak to some young athletes who are kind of in the same position you were when you started? Yeah, sure. I've, I've had the opportunity to go into some schools through the AOC's Olympics Unleashed program, which is really quite a wonderful program. They train you and they, they equip you. Um, as well as set a, a precedent and a, a standard for you're going out and doing a job, so you'll be paid to do that job. Um, I think coming as a as an amateur athlete, you're like, oh, do I just do this for the experience? Or this would be really cool. And you don't know how to value yourself. So to have that guidance is really cool. Um, it's really cool to speak to kids. Mm. They just give you such a different perspective and you really impress on them and, and it makes these kids think about weightlifting, which is something that I never thought about until I was 15. Um, I think in order to give back, it's certainly not an easy task um, and I don't know whether I can actually impact it, but I would like to see positive change on the sport itself. Um, I, I certainly didn't really feel like going through weightlifting that I had a structure of high performance and guidance in in what it takes to be an elite weightlifter. Um, so maybe it's more for me to try and, and give that back in in my own way and not try and affect. I think you can do it more on an individual basis or a case-by-case basis. What what are the most common question kids ask you when 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 you're in those schools or when you're in those programs? Be it about the Olympics, be it about weightlifting, kind of is there is there a go to question you're always getting asked? Yeah, I talk a lot about struggles with injury, and um, I think you can relate to the kids that maybe broken an arm and been a been in a cast for a while and you know gotten really frustrated at that itchy wrist or something. Um, and I, I definitely really struggled with injury in, in gymnastics. So the question that they ask is, have you been injured in weightlifting? Like, have you broken anything? And I'm like, well, no, actually, no. Weightlifting's like super safe. Um, mm-hmm. The variables are all controlled. Um, my coach has an eye and is able to see what I'm physically capable of on any, on any given day with my speed, my power, my strength that I'm expressing and also my head. So any weight that he gives me, I know I'm physically capable of on that day. It's so controlled. I'm not running against another person in rugby or potentially being punched by someone else in in, um, in boxing. The variables are so controlled, so the risk of injuries lower. Which is one of those sports, though, that you kind of. I remember when we, we, we talked to some, say, the winter athletes and say we talk about luge, you kind of think, well, this is like, like an incredibly dangerous sport. You're going to get injured a lot, but it's actually quite low. But like weightlifting is kind of one of those ones where you're thinking you're lifting something so heavy, it, it can mm-hmm. fall on top of you and like there's some danger mm-hmm. element to it. But obviously it's it's not up there. Like, again, you know, if you I think it was growing up, you one of those stats, I don't know if it's still true, is like the most common frequently injured sport in Australia is something like netball, not like football mm-hmm. and things like that because of the constant stop start of your legs. So it's kind of some of these sports that you don't actually realise don't have injuries as much as you think and others that you don't think would actually have more injuries than you think. Yeah, it's weird how it works like that. Uh, what we commonly 
societally perceive as oh dangerous sports weightlifting will stunt your growth or yeah all of this stuff is actually so, such a disjunct to what the reality is i mean i think i got my growth and puberty stunted through gymnastics way more than weightlifting ever would the training mm. loads are just completely different which one thing going through your instagram i i do like the pictures where you've got lots of pictures of you with uh food uh i can imagine sort of the weight element <laughs> is very important <laughs> in, in, in Kiana. i mean is is the diet kind of like the one of the things you've really got to like during sort of in the lead up to an olympics are you just like you know every day what you have to eat and can eat or is it kind of is it that strict i think as i've gotten older as an athlete i've understood the principles of diet um I came from a background where I trained so much as a kid, so you use your appetite to sort of match that. And then you hit puberty in gymnastics and they start looking at you and going, don't get too big. And you start getting weighed and it's like, oh, how do I change this? I started getting injured. So the training load changed and your body composition changes a little bit. Have that around 13, 14 and things start to change and, and then that's seen as a bad thing in gymnastics. So you have that pressure influence saying you've got to be smaller. Come post gymnastics, I was like, I don't want to be this small child that hasn't developed yet. I, I consciously tried to consume more so I could be more feminine and feel like my peers. It was a weird contrast. Then come weightlifting and it's like, oh, weight class sport. This is strange. Um, it looks like all the competitive weightlifters out there, all the top level weightlifters, they always sit a bit heavier and they cut back. So that's what I should do. So when I first started weightlifting, I started competing almost every month in like the local competitions as practice. And so I'd be right, right way in or right, a week before comp, you'd see where your body weight was and maybe manipulate a little bit. And then it became a very quick ebb and flow of body weight to no real performance reason, just, a bit of a cultural thing that I thought was the thing to do. No scientific backing, no, <laughs> <laughs> no legit reason. Um, and that, that sort of up and down process became what I did. And then the more times I did bigger events, I had more time between comps and I was having to cut back more weight. And then you rebound There's a big culture of post-competition we go out and eat and have fun and if you're overseas and you just go here right um it took me a while to realize hang on there's got to be a middle ground between gaining and losing Mm. um and it's only really in the past two or three years that it's like all right and it's always started from shit i've got to lose this weight to get to comp okay this is a really hard process and you do it and and you do it so many times to your body that they become physiological changes. People talk about, you know, colloquial in, in colloquially in diet culture, people talk about starvation mode. Um, there is some, put it this way, you restrict your access to food energy um, and your brain becomes hypersensitive to it do that a lot over time, you have like a super high hypersensitivity. So come about three years ago, I was like, I need to fix this. This is fucking me up so much. Um, And so I started to engage with professionals and 
tried to learn a bit more on how I could reduce body weight and just sort of keep it there. So I wasn't screwing my head up as much because it was really such a head mess for me. Um, my strength in weightlifting sounds stupid. My strength in weightlifting has never been strength. I don't have a massive reserve of leg strength and the this when I start to lose weight for a competition or by the time I get to comp weight that I have if has a physical effect, has a, a perceptive effect as well. It feels different. Your strength feels different. You may still be able to grind up the same weights, um, but I don't have this massive reserve to go, oh, yeah, I've still got heaps in there. Um, so mentally as well to try and learn how to eat, to feel my body, to maintain a body weight has been a process that I'm still learning. Um, so you asked, do I know exactly what I'm eating each day? going into the Olympics, yes and no. It was planned. It was guided based on overarching principles. Mm. You need a certain amount of input to maintain mass, essentially. Maintain the same. If you lower the input, then the mass decreases. If you increase, increases. Um, simple science. And yes, really. there's <laughs> simple, right? There's, there's yeah. ebbs and flows to it, but there's so much in in societal culture that champions raw stuff vegan is will make you lose weight well hang on what's in vegan food like you pare it down to the basics and it starts to make a bit more sense um mm. but i've also had to try and work with my mind i know that when i say to my brain all right you can't have x y and z my brain goes i really want x y and z and that's human nature um, and you can sort of deal with a certain level of restriction for a while until I feel like my responses to it have magnified over the years. So the big goal post my Olympic Games was to, how do I learn to eat like a normal person? Mm. And I can't really say again, because I ate normally when I was a child and even as a an older child doing gymnastics, I had such as high energy output that I didn't know what I was doing. I was just responding to appetite and, and whatever until I started trying to manipulate my body weight. It was like, right, don't eat because you'll get big. <laughs> so the mindset has been, and it is a mindset, has been a long journey to and to know that it's something I can and need to repair consciously over time so there's a lot of, there <laughs> a, lot, yeah, a lot to unpack kind of you know all yeah. that sort of uh it's not just a simple case of okay well today i'm having this this and this it, there's, there's a lot more level to that on on that page it's kind of mentioning where you're at now i know this is a question that every single person coming back from tokyo was hating to answer right now but i'm gonna i'm gonna ask it because it's my job is the goal to keep going towards another Olympics, Paris, uh, you know, short-term comp games, kind of like sort of what what's the process now for, for you uh, uh, continuing on into weightlifting? Yeah, Olympics has always held the allure for me. Um, I think because it was seated at such a young age and I just wondered if I could. Um, Commonwealth Games has never had the same allure. It's certainly there in about a year's time, but um, Paris for weightlifting has a giant question mark on it. Um, because of stuff that's going on between the IOC and the International Weightlifting Federation that I won't go into too much. Um, 
so the what next for me is it's 16 years I spent working for this goal. So what's going to be the driver? Mm. Um, I, I feel it was really weird immediately post-competition. I was sitting in that anti-doping room in Tokyo and I was like, I feel so dumb. Um, that was a highly emotional response at that time. In the weeks since, it sort of resonated to me that I don't think I'm physically finished. I think I've got more in me. Um, and I think that's the primary driver. I can't guarantee Tokyo. I can't guarantee anything about Commonwealth Games, but I, I know I want to pull out more from me physically. But that comes back to, I don't think I'm... I've got more to give as an athlete day in, day out. I can be a better athlete. Um, and that's a process to develop a daily mindset to develop. So I think what next is less a, a date and time and event goal and more a process to Deep try. Answer. The question I is, like that. <laughs> what's the limit of your potential, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, you're still young. You're only 20, 24. You've got 11 more years till Brisbane, home Olympics. You That's know? a really long time. It's terrifying. <laughs> well, you still got to be young though then. So, you know. So, of... 35 in weightlifting is masters. So, uh... <laughs> you get past 35. I mean, it's not uncommon. There was a, there was a woman from Columbia in 59s in Tokyo. She's 41. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I just always look at the bar now. The bar is always Andrew Hoy at 62, winning a silver and a bronze. Like, again... <laughs> Plenty of There's time. the legend, legend gymnast Oksana Chisabitna. Exactly. Now. Exactly. Like, and I think there was a, wow. was there not a Japanese equestrian rider who was in their 70s as well? So I just also look at the fact that you got skateboarders winning medals at 12. Um, there's kind of yeah, a weird Yeah, so what happens to right? the Youth Olympics and skateboarding now? I'm curious to ask IOC yeah. that. Are I'm they too young for the Youth Olympics? Isn't it 14 to 18? So, like, I mean, are you too young for the 18 is the cutoff, Olympics? yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's I a don't minimum. Know quota but um yeah (laughs) it's it's, it's sometimes i'm thinking they're a third of my age and they're winning olympic gold um so it's like what's going on there one quick question we we wrap up um with a series of fun questions kind of just to close it out but one quick question given that as mentioned to you off air we're a bit of a co-canadian australian podcast of course Mm. uh your event uh maud won the gold and uh colin very legend well i was going to ask do you have any stories about maud like kind of uh do, do you sort of associate much with her in the competition that you can share with us to keep Colin happy today? <laughs> We've spoken a few times um, in competition at various events. Um, she's certainly, I think Canada has been, a, I don't know, been the standard for Christine Garrard um, as a 63 in, in 2008 and 2012. Did unprecedented precedented things for a sort of westernised country in weightlifting. Um, and for more to, to stand up there on the top of the podium at an Olympic Games is just incredible. Um, I was so proud of watching her go through that, and she just had such an amazing competition. She just looked like she was in her element. Um, she's got this amazing backstory of going to circus school, I believe. Wow. Um, with a history in gymnastics, she did some CrossFit, and but going to circus school, like professional circus school, is I mean, she can juggle. Like I've got no hope in hell of juggling, but <laughs> um, she's got a pretty cool story. Yeah, um, I think she's such a she's such a humble champion. 
I just want to see her juggle it's been cool to see the, the, the weights that. now. Can she juggle the weights? Like, Ooh. is that something, you know? Pretty sure there's some videos out there on YouTube of, like, Russian, massive Russian guys, like, throwing 25-kilo plates at each other and catching them with one hand. My I've got no hope goodness. in that whatsoever. Jeez. <laughs> that's, um, wow, only in Russia. That That's something only I need to find, in Russia. Yeah, only, only in Russia. Uh, wow, Fun fact, know. weightlifting in Russian translates to heavy athletics. Oh, right. Which makes sense, right? (laughs) (laughs) In in Russia, weightlifting is just a Tuesday. You know, that's just, you know, it's kind of, they've got to do that on the way to school, essentially, Mm. uh, before they can can go to math class that day. Now, as I said, we close out each interview with a series of fun questions. Now, these Mm. are based on a questionnaire that was given to Canadian athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Oh, really? Yeah, so they didn't do this for Tokyo, sadly. I hope they bring it back for Beijing in a couple of months' time. But uh, unfortunately, they didn't want to question their athletes ahead of Tokyo. But I always like to try and find an athlete from the sport of the uh, other athlete that I'm interviewing right now. And sadly, they didn't put a questionnaire to any weightlifters in Rio. So uh-huh. I've gone I've gone with a wrestler today, Jasmine right. Mian. I was thinking, well, I mean, where can I relate this to? And I'm like, oh, wrestling sort of it begins with w kind of, so really. yeah that's yeah, about it that's about it i was it. Got mistaken for a wrestler we we're sitting here that the um going to houston for that 2015 senior worlds and we're sitting in the airport and these these women that you could have picked them out of um dance moms oh no no not dance moms toddlers and tiaras oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they go oh, my God, do you guys do wrestling? And we were like, what? <laughs> no? <laughs> it was terrifying. Wow. Jeez, that's that's crazy. Well, see, this was meant to be then, me choosing a wrestler today because you yeah, clearly definitely. are a wrestler in some people's eyes. Uh, so these are just simple questions. There is a drawing element. You don't have to do it. We've had uh, Ash Werner did it. She uh, drew some and put it on our social media. So if, you, if you're a bit of a drawer, Kiana, we can, we can give this to you some homework. It's highly up to you <laughs> just put the pressure on you there extra for that but i'll start with right. your favorite ever olympic moment is you can answer your own it's gotta be well. oh my own was pretty good um <laughs> <laughs> no, i think the one that, that gives me chills that, that's coming to mind at the moment is matthias steiner the men's super heavyweight i believe it was uh was Beijing and he came Was that the one where he like, had his, was it his wife or his kid? He had the photo. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She died in a car accident yep. recently, but he put like 10 kilos on above what he'd ever done before. I mean, the mm. Russian dude had, had, had staked his way. He'd done it and he'd said, basically, I've done all I can try and beat it. And Matthias Steiner went out and he beat it. And that moment, his coach is jumping all over him and he's just collapsed on the ground, just like, oh, my God, I did that. That's a cool moment. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And sort of on the on the dais, he had his picture of his wife up there and it was just like, God, just not a dry eye, right? Like you just kind of watch that. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. No, I'm crying. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> one of those moments. Um, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? God, I haven't thought about that. Has there ever been an Olympic Games in Poland? Uh, there has not been an Olympic Games in Poland. They've been for the Somewhere winter ones Poland. a few times. Yeah. Ah, I, I don't know. I've had the chance to go to Poland a couple of times. I've, be, I went to Wrocław in, in 
I don't know. There's something about I'm partial to Georgia mm-hmm. because I won my medals in Georgia. But there's something about some of those European countries and the towns, the real cities, the towns are just so quaint and there's like this real mix of modern and old architecture and they're just idyllic there's street artists and there's cobblestones and they're cool really enjoy they're they're, they're passionate fans i know i'm a formula one fan and when robert kubica was at his powers in formula one i mean god like just the poles that would go to the races just they were rabid and like just get behind him just like one drive yeah, wow. what it's like in the olympic games to have sort of a, oh my you know, as a host nation like it would be absolutely great atmosphere so i like that answer that'd be cool yeah that'd be cool okay i'm the first time i've had that answered so i'll take it um in your spare time what mm. do you most like to do i love just getting out and exploring that sense of awe is something i try and find um, I think getting out of quarantine in the past few days, there was a lot of like, just let me out of the house. <laughs> the moment I found out I could leave, I ran down the street. But um, <laughs> I don't run. I'm a weightlifter. This is weird. Um, but I, I, yesterday I was just going bush and just gone for a walk and somewhere I hadn't been before and Great. Just walking along by a road and there's koala like two meters off tree, like super, nice. super close, just, just wow. chilling. Just chilling. Just chilling. There it is. That's so cool. That yeah. that those experiences, like you have them day in day out, and that that makes you happier than 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 an Olympic Games or it, yeah, it's fulfilling, right? Yeah, and you take it for granted Maybe when you see like than a the koala. Moment. Yeah, but it's like so you don't cool. Really... There's so many of them here in Adelaide. I just didn't. I don't. I've never saw them in. Disney, never but... seen a wild. Like we don't have wild ones in Tasmania, so I've actually never seen a wild koala. Like obviously heaps, seen them in heaps in Adelaide. Yeah, heaps in Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can There's safely a few say I've seen. You go a... to. Right. Okay. I've seen a wild Tassie devil. Does that count? Like it really? Yeah. Not not as much as you used to as a kid because they're kind of endangered now. But as a kid, God, yeah, you'd see them all the time. So really? you'd hear them. You go to camp. That's why they're called devils because oh they scream. So it's like uh, go camping and you don't know what the hell you are and you're hearing this screaming in the middle of the night. Yeah, not not fun. But uh, it's a bit terrifying. Yeah. Did you prank each other with it? Uh, no, not really because we're we're Tasmanian. <laughs> we know it, right? Whereas like if you're with someone who doesn't know what it is, you're like, holy shit, someone's being murdered in the bush. Like <laughs> it's yeah, it's no, it's definitely a drop bear. Got someone. Yeah, mm. drop drop bears. Exactly. Mm. That's that's a good one there. Canadians, if you're listening, <laughs> drop bears are real. Um, yes. The weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you oh god i remember being at a at a junior worlds and having a coach tell me that what she told me was the opposite of what i did <laughs> and so i was just like i don't understand <laughs> yeah that was weird so like reverse psychology or just- it was like i i i put a bar behind me and I was told I didn't pull it enough. And I'm like, I can't have pulled it not enough because it went over my head and <laughs> behind me. I was just so confused. Yeah. No, I, I can understand how that would be confusing. Um, what is your favourite workout? I really don't have one. <laughs> I just like playing with movement yeah. i think that's uh, as an extra I, I bloody miss gymnastics and miss that that feeling and i like to play with stuff that i couldn't do before um or or, or used to be able to do the the sensation of those tricks that. is yeah. cool 
When, when you it's not a workout to, per se. <laughs> when you go to a gym and you just you're having a workout, like do you sometimes look at some of these like real like you know gym bros like you know they're there in their tank tops they're all up they're they're thinking they're the shit you just want to go up to them and just be like hey you want to have a you want to have a weight off here like kind of just you know I like love <laughs> I love weightlifting in that you can go into a commercial gym and the gym bros they look at the girl lifting more than they can deadlift or more than they can put above they can't even get overhead and they look at you and they just sort of like tail between the legs run the other way it's <laughs> amazing yes. it's amazing it's such a cool <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. If you're a gym bro listening to this, like I, I I'm actually not going to say no offense because I hate going to the gym and seeing you guys. Like, so like that makes me feel good that you can say that. I mean, every time I see one, I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm going to get Kiana to come down here and put you guys to shame. So uh, done, done deal, know, done deal. <laughs> um, your if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Jeez. I feel like people always answer like really, really famous thinkers hmm. in these, like Aristotle or something. I don't know. I'm trying to think of an individual. But I don't think anyone's actually ever answered Aristotle on this show. So you could be, you could buck that trend and be the first. I don't think I'd really want to go and have lunch with Aristotle. I wouldn't know what to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> But having said that, though, do you not think that he would feel the? Because like, it's kind of like when you talk to a stand-up comedian; they always feel the pressure to be funny, and like sometimes they just want to have a conversation. So maybe do you think Aristotle's just like, to, like Dude, come up with pearls of wisdom? <laughs> yeah, I just I just want to talk about the Real Housewives of Sydney. I don't want to talk about yeah, like my yeah. theories. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of a particular person, I've watched before. Life is so hard. There's only a few people I, I look up to within the professional space and, and more and more it's looking up to almost people that are, d- are doing stuff that I, I can't or they're almost like these soft skills that, that I look up to people for. Um, and someone came to mind, but I, I can have lunch with that person whenever I ask, so, so it's not really. <laughs> well, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be like it could just be like, yeah, I just want to have lunch with my mum. Like, sure, like you know, just something simple. <laughs> she's a good, she's a good lunch date. What can I say? She pays, and I get good food. So, yeah, I'll, I'll pull a weird one out. I don't know anything about the actor, but um, or, or the actor as a person, but to sit down and have a conversation with John Cleese would be pretty cool. Yes, now that would be a fun conversation. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm, indeed. Surely I'm I would pressure him to be funny. Well I'd just piss myself and be unable to hold a conversation. Yeah. You'd just be sitting there going, Come on, say something funny and he's just like I just wanna talk about <laughs> He'd probably be like, Screw this and leave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, me and John Cleese are very similar. We always know that pressure of being funny. And one of us yeah, is funny, yeah. the other hosts podcasts. Um <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I always, especially when I was a kid doing gymnastics and having like no time whatsoever. I always wanted the ability to pause time and move around in it. Yes. Um, now I find that less, <laughs> but it would be pretty cool. It would still be pretty cool. It, yeah. It's kind of like, um, what was that? Uh, I'm thinking, was it Quicksilver in one of the X-Men movies? Or was that, it was Sonic where kind of like, cause he's so fast. It's kind of like everything's frozen and he's kind of like, it'd be, it'd be interesting to kind of see what you could do with that. Um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd still want that. I'd still want that superpower. Yeah. I, I feel like I really struggle in conversations, especially within conversations of like people in authority <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to like stop and think about what I'm going to say yeah. and actually say what I want and know what I actually think. So if I could pause and just yeah. be like, okay. How can I play this? <laughs> Underrated power. Underrated power. Yeah. 
I like that one. Uh, what to you is the best candy in the world? Candy is very American, very, very Canadian, mm, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love, okay, words. I'm thinking candy and, and lollies. I'm, I'm excluding chocolate from this in the American sense. Sour squirms. Sour squirms. Oh, nice. Okay. That's so a good, good one. I like it. Just quickly, the drawing elements, if you do, there's a draw a Canadian animal. There is a draw a picture <laughs> of yourself. There's a giant moose outside of the Canadian Tower in um, in Tokyo. You could draw a picture of that it. if you want to. Yeah. And yeah. The, didn't didn't the Australian kangaroo get stolen by the Germans or something? I like heard that? that. I was not yeah. there to see it, but yeah, there was a kangaroo and an emu outside the, right. the tower. Pretty cool. Because they they apparently I I did read that they thought the Canadians stole it to go hang out with the moose, but then they later. Found I love that it was Ian Chessman had to do a statement about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine his drop. Like, I never thought in my life that I'm going to have to make a statement about the theft of the Australian kangaroo in the Olympic Very Village. Very important matter. I know. It's it's our emblem. Getting to that, getting to the heart of these uh, issues. Um, Very, yeah. As a kid, who were your favourite sports teams? I've never been a team sports person. Okay. I'm, like, completely – like, our, my family never followed sport. I think that's a good thing. Like you, you don't then have to have this constant disappointment in your life of your team's letting I'm, you down. <laughs> I'm new to Adelaide and I don't get the AFL thing. Right. I think <laughs> you haven't been swayed on the power or the crows yet, or <laughs> just just right now the power are doing well, so you can. I watch. Get the band uh, yeah, I, I so. watch ball sports and I've just got no idea what's going on. So yeah, <laughs> I don't last I, long. <laughs> I, I'd recruit you for my footy team, but I don't want to put that pain on you because it's a very painful period in life to to go for them. So yeah, I would probably fit right in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stay away at the bottom and then you just feel the success, right? Yeah, don't just jump straight to the better. successful team. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. I do like here that um jasmine has written here uh the chicago bulls loved dennis rodman and then for her next answer here uh so the question is my favorite sports movie and she's written cool runnings she's drawn a bobsled and written feel the rhythm feel the rhyme so i do love the fact that she's really gone out of the the way for her drawing watch that a lot yeah 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 so do you have a favorite like is cool runnings your favorite sports movie or is there another favorite sports movie you have i'm gonna pick two Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a typical gymnast, Stick It was awesome. Oh, good um, but also Eddie the Eagle. Oh yes, good movie as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Eddie the I'm Eagle not is a big the movie person, but yeah. Cool Runnings of ski jumping movies. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, Eddie the Eagle is the same movie as Cool Runnings. It's just with ski jumping instead of bobsleigh. Totally. So, totally. same Olympics. <laughs> um, you know, Hugh Jackman, John Candy, same sort of people. Is it? Is it? I always like asking this question now to our guests when there's maybe not an obvious movie that I know off the top of my head. Is there a weightlifting movie? Do you know if there's a weightlifting movie? Oh, God. I was seeing one on a plane flying back from somewhere. It was like Korean weightlifting something. And it was shocking. Like the render, they had this like skinny little girl doing. It was a woman weightlifting, um, doing weightlifting, and the she didn't have a stunt double, and she just just did not look like a lifter. And they had cameos of her with in weightlifting. They had these two and a half kilo air plates, which are like technique plates for kids. They look like the twenty five, but they're two and a half kilos. So <laughs> she had, had her. her <laughs> miming a heavy lift on these skinny little arms and just messing it up completely. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the closest to a weightlifting movie. Um, there's a couple of documentaries that are that are pretty cool, like like the Bulgarian School of Champions documentary, and, and there's a few people coming out with more, more modern documentaries that follow weightlifters, but right. not movies per se. 
that I'm well, aware the, of. The thing that I also find is that if there's not a movie, often James Bond has done it. I can't remember a James Bond movie where he's weightlifted Ooh. though. So there's still time. So you know what? Like weightlifting, in, like colloquially in society, you don't see very much of. But I did see it on a Bridgestone ad or something recently. Oh, like, okay. and I was like. Huh, there might be an opportunity there. Yeah. <laughs> Spokesperson for, for Bridgestone. You I've never, never seen know. anyone like do that. Maybe yeah, the Olympics thing. Exactly. It's very nice. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? New Zealand. New Zealand. Ah, okay. Any particular part or just anywhere? I've only really explored South Island a little, a very little bit. I went there when I was nine with family and then sort of trained there for a little bit up in up in the northern part of the South Island in Nelson for about 10 days um, a few years ago. And I don't know where, probably South Island, but just like the amount of landscape can change in such a small yeah. span of space is just unreal. And it's yeah. such a different landscape to Australia being so close. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I lived there for a bit and I remember sort of you drive and you'd be in the green. here like, it's just like Tasmania and out of nowhere, boom, here's these like snow-capped peaks and you're just kind of like, what's... But it's like, yeah. it's also livable. Like, it's really similar. Like oh, if, yeah. you, if you go and take the plunge to move somewhere else, like can you imagine moving to like the Congo? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. Absolutely. Can't say I have yeah, ever had that. New vision. Zealand would be like, oh, this is familiar. This is fine. They speak the same yeah. language. You drive on the same side, the same side of the road. I mean, it's, countdown is practically is Woolworths, right? It basically, pack and save. Mm. You know, it's it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the it's, same. It's the one thing I say when I lived there. It like you legitimately would go large periods where you forgot you were living in another country. Then all of a sudden, something would happen. You're like, oh fuck, I'm in New Zealand. Like you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. And when they make fun of your accent, you know something's wrong. <laughs> You you don't say socks properly, and I'm like I don't say six properly. Um, <laughs> the other there's another drawing here. Draw your uh, a dream Olympic medal. Um, Jasmine's drawn a maple leaf with Olympic rings on it. Quite original. Right, um, like design your own. Yeah, kind of like what you yeah. think it would be cool, basically. Uh, when you were little, what was something you always thought? <laughs> First thing that comes to mind, I always thought CDs were. I just didn't get the concept. So I thought like. You put the CD in the stereo in the car and then it rung up the band and they play for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what happened to doing a play at the same time? <laughs> well, that's a powerful CD. I Put it in. Spice Girls are just on the line, ready to go. Oh, Keanu wants to listen to Wannabe. Oh, all right, ready to go, girls. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, hey. That was you, my you kid brain. Pretty cool, pretty cool CD player there, I think. Uh, <laughs> Very powerful. Uh, the final one, what is your favourite joke to tell? I can't think of a particular one. I I see physio at the moment who just tells these ridiculously stupid dad jokes and, and just really poor puns, and I really do appreciate them. <laughs> poor puns are great. Um, so I'm trying to come up with one off the top of my head. I'm, I'm blanking at the moment. <laughs> my coach always makes a joke about weightlifting. So in weightlifting, you um, you weigh in two hours before you compete and then you, you hang around until you're allowed to lift. So it's called weightlifting. Very <laughs> shocking, I know. Wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's not a bum, great bum, one, but... <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, okay. On that note, um, if people want to stay up to date, Kiana, with with what you're doing, kind of uh, your weightlifting or anything along those lines, uh, where, where can they follow you, social media, website, anything along those lines? 
yeah, I've got to get my website up and running again. It's sort of mis- mystified me. I, the abyss of the internet and setting your own websites is just like crazy mysterious. Um, I'll figure that out. Um, but you, <laughs> you'll find me most active on my Instagram, which is just my full name, Kiana Elliott. Um, two L's and two T's in Elliot. Everyone always forgets the second T for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, I'm also on Twitter with like a grand total of 100 followers. Um, <laughs> 101 now. We'll follow you. 100 double <laughs> underscore Elliot. And and I have a Facebook page, which is just my name. Beautiful. Beautiful. And yeah. is it something that uh, you're thinking about maybe TikTok? I'm sure there's some TikTok fun you can have with weightlifting. I feel way too or? old for that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> If I'm speaking to a 24-year-old saying that you feel old for that, then I've got no hope. Um, <laughs> there goes my plans for my TikTok career, Kiana. Thanks oh, for that. Man. Oh, you're welcome. Sorry. Please don't let me um, follow your dreams. Please go ahead. <laughs> yes. I want to be an influencer. Come on. Like, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Got... TikTok's a place. Yeah. No, I hear OnlyFans is a place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about influencer, but like, you know. Well, I mean, they did lift the porn ban recently. So hey, it's kind of well. swings and roundabouts. Off the podium, coming <laughs> soon to uh, OnlyFans potentially. Kiana, uh, it's been a lot of fun learning about your career. Very uh, inspiring, I want to say, kind of everything that you've told about, sort of overcoming everything you did to get to the Olympics and to achieve what you did there. Fascinating to learn everything. And I'm saying this now, Paris 2024, we're going to keep an eye out for you and uh, <laughs> see you bring home the gold. Bugger a personal bet. Yes, you've done that now. Get the medal. That's all I can say. Different ball game hand. <laughs> hey, it's been awesome. It's been a really great chat. Thanks for having me. And a massive, massive thanks to Kiana for her time. As I said, thoroughly fascinating. Enjoyed every single second of that. And, yeah, don't ever just simply assume you can ask her weightlifter to carry the groceries to the car i'm sure that's something they get sick of hearing haha <laughs> it's a funny joke what did i say in that interview that uh there are some people out there who are funny others host a podcast but again thanks to kiana for her time we've got plenty more interviews coming your way of course we are bringing them to you thick and fast in between now and the beijing olympics so much to bring you we've got more athletes we've got more behind the scenes people so very excited to bring what we have coming your way if you don't want to miss any of the episodes you can search off the podium on all of the good podcast platforms on there hit the subscribe button never miss an episode and while you're there why not leave us some feedback we'd love to hear what you're thinking of the show leave us a rating helps spread the pod out there a little bit more and of course social media you can find us off the podium we're on instagram we're on twitter we're on facebook not on tiktok but maybe one day and we can uh we 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 can we do keep you updated with everything that we've got posted i guess i just got distracted thinking about my influencer career as a tiktoker uh but that's where you can get in contact with us if you want to request a guest say hello tell us what you're thinking of the show anything else along those lines we would love to hear from you thanks again to kiana for her time thanks again for you for listening my name is ben and as always go left I'm turning Japanese, I really think so.